You're listening to another message from Generation City Church. Praise God, you may be seated. I've enjoyed every moment of our service this morning. There's been such a touch of God, such an anointing. Uh, I thought Pastor Marty was going to just take off this morning. Such liberty and such power in what he said. I believe every service should be an encounter with God. Every service. I think Pastor Marty was too kind in introducing me. I don't, don't believe anything he said. But I do appreciate very much the opportunity Pastor Marty has given me to stir up the gift of God. To stir up the gift of God that's within me. Each one of us need to constantly stir up the gift of God. This morning I want to talk a little on promises and I want to take you into the glory of God. I want you to see this morning the glory of God and I've titled my message this morning when God's promises are not enough. Might sound a little negative but I'm sure that every one of us have had those experiences where we can quote all the promises of God and highlight them, apply them to our situation and things are not resolved. They're just not enough. We've all been in those situations of need where even the wonderful promises that God has recorded have not helped us at that particular point. I'm not saying this morning that God's promises are not true and that they will not come to pass, but I am saying there are times in every one of our lives when we need more than just the promises of God. I know faith takes hold of the promises and ultimately God's promises will carry us through, but often until we reach that point where we can fasten onto the promises of God, we need something else to help us and take us through and help us see the victory that God has for us and accomplish the work of God in our lives. We have Asaph, one of the, uh, the right-hand singers in the uh, tabernacle, in the temple rather, and uh, he penned or he expressed uh, this same feeling of, at times, God, you're not working. It's not happening, and we find that he writes in Psalm 77, In the day of my trouble, I sought the Lord. Will the Lord cast off forever, and will he be favorable no more? Has his mercy ceased forever? Has his promise failed forevermore? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has his anger shut up his tender mercies? And I said, this 
is my anguish. And there he grapples with not being able to to come through the situation he faces and somehow all the promises of God that he knows of and he sings of in the temple don't seem to be enough. And he brings that anguish before the Lord. He deals with it in a most unusual, in one way we can deal with it. And if you read on in the psalm, he he goes back and he says, I'll meditate. He spends time in God's presence. He looks back on God's activity in his life and he comes to that point of faith. He comes to that point of victory. Now, I want to read this morning from Exodus chapter 33. And we're going to look at one of the great encounters of man and God that Pastor Marty so so brilliantly, really, preached about two weeks ago. I thought that was the best message I've ever heard him preach. And he's preached some good ones, where he preached about Abraham's encounter with God and how the covenant was sealed as the sacrifice was severed. I, I want to look at the encounter that Moses had with God. Moses had with God unique encounter where we find in his situation God's promises were not enough. The only thing that would see him through was the glory of God. The glory of God. So uh, we're going to read from verse 18. And he said, Please show me your glory. Then he said, this is God, I will make all my goodness pass before you and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, this is God, you cannot see my face for no man shall see me and live. And the Lord said, Here is a place by me, and you shall stand on the rock. So it shall be while my glory passes by that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and will cover you with my hand while I pass by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. What a wonderful experience Moses had. If you read the previous chapters, chapter 32 and 31, we find that that Moses is in Mount Horeb, Mount Sinai, and God there cuts two tables of tablets of stone and with his finger writes the Ten Commandments. The law of God came through Israel, came through the Jewish race and has blessed the world. The Ten Commandments, an amazing statement of God's expectations and what God said society needs to follow. Now while Moses is... uh, 
having dialogue with God and getting instructions on the tabernacle and God writes the Ten Commandments, the, the very commandments that God writes, the children of Israel at the foot of Mount Sinai are breaking those very commandments. And because Moses is somewhat delayed, hasn't come down from Mount Sinai, they come to... Uh, uh, Levi and, and, and they, they, they ask him to, uh, Aaron uh, rather, and they ask him to uh, make a golden calf. They need a God to worship for Moses wasn't there. And we have the horrible story how it was made and they began to worship and Moses came down from the mount. He heard the noise. He saw what was happening. And in anger, he threw the Ten Commandments, the tablets of stone down and smashed them to pieces. This is the background. And now Moses intercedes on behalf of Israel. God's anger is so hot that God wants to destroy Israel, destroy his purposes with Israel. But Moses intercedes and God makes certain promises, but Moses finds God's promises not enough to carry on and lead God's purposes with his people Israel. It happened at the foot of Mount Horeb. Some years ago, 25 years ago, my father and I, we went to the Sinai Peninsula, Peninsula rather, and uh, we went to the location of St. Catherine's Monastery. And St. Catherine's Monastery was built on the site supposedly where Moses uh, experienced the burning bush and had that wonderful encounter with God. And this monastery uh, was formed in the 6th century and is the oldest surviving inhabited uh, monastery that's still operating in the world today. And uh, just outside the monastery you have some older buildings and we found some accommodation there and I guess you get what you pay for. I think we paid $25 a night. And we came and we, fired, we found that dinner uh, was uh, quite rustic. That They had some what they called chips. They were cold. And uh, you had a side dish of tomato sauce. And, and I'm sorry, not chips. It was macaroni. Macaroni. They had pasta. And, uh, and then you uh, kind of made uh, your uh, bolognese. No meat with some tomato sauce, and for a dessert we had a shriveled up orange. So that cost us, then we went into our accommodation and the accommodation was wet. The beds were wet. Uh, I'm sure that the building was as old as the monastery. And, uh, but that was all right. We didn't come for luxury. And so at three o'clock in the morning we got up and we were going to climb Mount Sinai or Mount Horeb. And so it takes about two and a half hours, so three hours depends how old you are, and you climb the mountain. And uh, we, we got on top of the mountain just in time to see the beautiful sunrise. And it was a moving experience, even though you were somewhat worn out, very tired, you didn't sleep well, you hadn't eaten well, but to sense the awe 
and to sense the wonder of what happened there some thousands of years ago when God spoke to Moses, when God gave the blueprints of the tabernacle, when God wrote the law of God, the Ten Commandments on the tables of stone. It was a moving experience. And so we find ourselves here at Mount Horeb. Why did Moses climb Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai? And we find the reason is, as I've mentioned in chapter 31, 18, and when he had made an end of speaking with him on Mount Sinai, he gave Moses two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone written both with the finger of God. Then Exodus chapter 32 is probably one of the hardest chapters in all the Bible to read because we see the consequences of sin. We see the judgment of sin. We see what sin can do to a nation and to a people. I find it extremely hard to see how God had to deal with the waywardness and sin and idolatry and, and, and the slaughter that emanated from not following the laws and the ways of God. Moses intercedes in a remarkable way. Moses says, blot my name out. God, forget me, but be true to your promises to Israel. You've brought these people out of Egypt. What will the world think if you abandon them and do not fulfill your promises? Moses then went and took his tent from the camp and went some distance away and pitched his tent at the foot of Mount Sinai and that tent became the tabernacle of God. Not the tabernacle later that was made with all the furniture but it was the meeting place And God would come down in the cloud. And the presence of God would be seen at the doorway. And in that tent you had God and man communicating. In that tent you had Moses somehow unable to fulfill the work that God had called him to. And uh, and there was nothing in God's promises. He was unable. He did not have the strength. He did not feel he had God's uh, ability to carry on and lead Israel at that particular time and as God spoke we find in verse 14 of chapter 33 and God said God gives more promises God says my presence uh, he says my presence will go with you and I'll give you rest now you think that's enough And that's a promise that God gives us. And God said, Moses, my presence, I'm going to give you rest. You're going to find my peace in this. You're going to find my hand in this. And then God goes on in the next verse and says, Then the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing that you have spoken, for you have found grace in my sight. Moses wanted to be sure that God had changed his mind, that God was for Israel, that God would uh, would take Israel through and fulfill his promises. And God agrees and says, I'm doing this because you found grace 
and I know you by name. Now that's a wonderful statement when God says to someone, I know you by name. I know you by name. Moses, in the crowd, in the world, I know who you are. I know what promises I've made. I know what task I have given you. I know you by name. And Isaiah gives us more understanding of the power of these words. In Isaiah 43, we read that God says, Fear not, I have called you by your name. You are mine. And when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. For I am the Lord your God. What a wonderful thing when God knows our name. When he knows our name, he says, you are mine. And to Moses, he brings this wonderful promise. I know your name. You are mine. But that was not enough. The promises were not enough at this time to get Moses moving in the will of God. And then God goes on in verse 18, and Moses rather after hearing, he says, God, please show me your glory. That's, that's something God could not do because the tabernacle had not been built. The furniture that represents Christ and what Christ would do had not been established. No man could see God in li- and live even though Moses talked as it were face to face. It doesn't mean his face was close. It means the nearness. They were able to communicate in a closeness and an intimacy. And Moses said, show me your glory. And God now resorts to his promises again. He avoids the question for a moment and God says, I will proclaim. Now, first of all, he says, I will make, verse 19, I will make all my goodness pass before you. Can you imagine that experience where God, probably in panoramic view, showed his goodness, the good things he had done, the creation, what God wanted to establish. I will pass all my goodness before you. What a wonderful thing it is. And that's what the word of God does. It shows us all the goodness of God. And then he says, I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. There's so much in that for God reveals himself through his names. And we have El Shaddai, which talks about God the Almighty. When God moves, not as God, as, as the Supreme, when God moves, El Shaddai. Then we have the word Elohim, God the Creator. When God created the world, it was Elohim. And then we have the name Jehovah. The name Jehovah, the Lord your God. And this is the name that God says, I will, I will pass my name. He says, I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. Jehovah refers to God's relationship with man. When God deals with us, when God speaks to us, when God blesses us, it's Jehovah. 
It's Jehovah because He has a relationship. He's made a covenant with us. He's on our side. He's beside us. And God revealed again to Moses His redemptive name. And as you look at the name of Jehovah, we find scripture and very clearly, I'm going to clearly, uh, quickly go through the seven redemptive names. And probably God mentioned each one of these to Moses at that time. We have Jehovah Ra, the Lord, my shepherd, the Lord, my shepherd. Then we have Jehovah Jireh. It's the Lord who sees and provides. Every need is met in the Jehovah names of God. Then we have Jehovah Rapha. That means the Lord that heals. Then we have Jehovah Tishkenu, the Lord our righteousness. Number five, Jehovah Shalom is the Lord our peace. Number six, Jehovah Shammah, the Lord is present. And then number seven, Jehovah Nissi is the Lord, my banner, my canopy. God proclaimed his name, Moses, this is who I am in relationship to you. This is what I provide for you and for all those that trust me. This is what I am to those that have made a covenant with me. This is what I am to those that are saved. The wonderful, redemptive names of God. And then God goes further and he goes on and talks about his election. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Israel, how horrible. This was Israel's darkest hour. This was a time when God could have annihilated that, the race from the earth because of the waywardness and the sinfulness of them in the golden calf. But God said, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. I'll show compassion to whom I have. It has nothing to do with us, the election of God. Moses, understand. Understand that my choice has nothing to do with their waywardness. My choice has nothing to do with their fickleness. I have chosen them. I will show compassion to whom I have compassion. You know, you'd think that was enough, wouldn't you? You'd think, God, what more? God has flooded Moses with his promises. As God has flooded us with his promises in his word. But Moses... You cannot see my face and live. What you've asked, I cannot really do. You see, Moses had the knowledge, but he needed, he needed something from God that would fire up within his spirit and soul again that he might accomplish a job that probably no one else could have ever done, that God took 40 years in the wilderness, in the desert, to prepare him for. But God thinks, you can almost hear God thinking, and God says, look, there is a rock. I'm going to put you into the cleft of the rock. Moses, I know all the promises I've shared with you are just not enough. They're true, you know they're true, but 
that are not enough to release you again into the work of God that I have for you. And God said that when I put you in the cleft of that rock, I'm going to come past. I'm going to come past, and we we have the words here. Um, You cannot see my face, for no man can see me and live. And, And then we have those wonderful words in 33 again quickly. Um, and the Lord said, here is a place, stand on the rock, so it shall be while my glory passes by, that I will put you in the cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand while I pass by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back. That's as much as God could have done. God could show no more glory at that time for The processes of redemption had only gone so far. God almost went out of his way that that Moses would just see the back parts of the glory of God with God's hand preventing the eminence of the glory of God. That did it. That did it. The next day we find that Moses climbs the mountain God doesn't make it so easy this time. He's got to cut the tablets of stone out himself. God says, I will once again give you the Ten Commandments. And we find as he climbs that mountain, God gives him further directions concerning the tabernacle. And we find that Moses once again is on course. The back of God's glory made all the difference Now Moses had the divine ability from God to go on. And in chapter 34, we see him climbing Mount Sinai. And when he's finished and he comes down, the impact of that encounter with God where he saw just just almost nothing of God's glory, we find that his face shone so brightly that he had to put a veil upon his face. There was no doubt he had encountered God. The promises of God were not enough. But that encounter with God stirred Moses again, gave him the power he needed from God, even though he didn't receive all that he wanted, but the glory that he did see was what made all the difference. You know, we ourselves are in a different situation. I want to take you now 1,500 years into the future from this experience on Mount Horeb. And I want you to come with me to Luke chapter 2, And we're going to read from verse 7 to verse 14. And I'm going to show you the glory of God. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. 
Now there were in the same country shepherds living, living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And behold, the angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be for all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Saviour, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you, you shall find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. God's redemptive purposes were on track. God sent his son. Moses, you wanted to see my glory. Here is my glory, that babe that was born. This was the glory of God and the angelic host could not refrain. Normally their visual appearances on earth were limited. But now a multitude from heaven that filled the sky were overcome with the glory of God. And they said, glory to God in the highest. Glory to God in the highest. This was the glory of God. When God's promises are not enough, we need an experience. We need to see again the glory of God. We need to touch the glory of God. And the angels sang, and, and John wrote in John 1.14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And then Jesus Himself says in John 17.5, And now, O Father, glorify me together with Yourself, with the glory which I had with You before the world was. What Moses could not see, what Moses could not fully understand as he spoke with God and requested to see the glory of God, that glory has been revealed to us. That glory has been revealed. I haven't finished my message, but I want you to stand for a moment. Let's all stand. I want you to begin to worship the glory of God. I want you to begin to see the glory of God. For touching the glory of God will bring that which you require in your life. Let's worship Him for a moment, church. Let's see what the shepherds saw. Let's see the angels as they broke heaven's bar and began to sing glory to God in the highest. Let's just, well, let's just reach out to Him. Let's just worship Him. Let's just worship Him. There are times when God's promises don't seem to work. But I want to tell you this morning that when you touch His glory, when you worship His glory, when you see His glory, that makes all the difference. That makes all the difference. Lord, we glorify You this morning. 
We praise You, Lord. We thank You for the glory of Jesus. We thank You for Jesus. We see His glory, Lord. We see what the Old Testament could not see. And we draw power from the glory of God. Lord, we thank You for Your glory. Thank Him for His glory. See Christ. Let's encounter His glory this morning. Oh, just see it. Just see it. Let your eyes see the glory of God. The eminence of God. We want that glow that Moses had upon our lives. We want to see the glory that once again will fire us up. Will help us in that situation. You know, worship is so different from praise. Praise can be a sacrifice. Worship is a spontaneous response from our spirit as we see the wonder and the glory and the majesty of God. And what a difference that makes when we touch Him. Hallelujah. Bless God. May be seated. I just wanted to. I just wanted to worship His glory just for a moment. But I haven't finished. We're going to go on. For another 33 years. And we're going to see the wonder and the glory of God. Because the story of God's glory did not finish. With Moses when he saw the back parts. God knew at that time that he would have to die. There was no way. There was no way he could have had that closeness and seen all that God was. And the wonder of God. There was no way he could do that at that particular time. But God grants the request to see his glory. You know, Moses was one of those unique people that God changed the rules for. The normal rule for leaving the earth is death. We all go that way. But with Moses, something else happened. God had something else in store for him. And he didn't go the way of man normally. And there was dispute over his body. There's a mystery there. God doesn't often work that way. But God can because he's God. God can change the rules. And usually God makes a few exceptions. A few times God played with universal time. God can do as he pleases. And for some reason, God does not allow Moses to die a normal death. But it appears that he preserves him. And we're going to look at Luke chapter 9. And verse 28. And it came to pass about eight days after these sayings that he took Peter, John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he prayed, the appearance of his face was altered and his robe became white and glistening. Then behold, two men talked with him who were Moses and Elijah who appeared in glory we're talking about not their glory. We're talking about the glory of Jesus. If you look at the commentators on this verse and spoke of his, of his decease, which he was, he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. 
You know, God in his wonder preserved Moses. And Elijah also, Elijah was one of those men or unique in the Old Testament. He, he almost could see in the spiritual realm as he saw in the natural realm. He saw what was going on and God for, took him up. And it appears he did not have a natural death. And here, that which Moses longed for. You know what the word of God says? The word of God says, delight yourself also in the Lord and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Moses delighted. He wanted to see the glory of God. God could not show him at that time his glory. Gave him a touch of the eminence that came from his back, which changed his life. But God waited for one and a half thousand years. And when his glory was manifested on the earth through his son, Jesus Christ, at that moment of transfiguration before Jesus was to go to the cross and he experienced for a fleeting moment the glory he had with the Father before the earth was created. And that glory emanated, emanated from Christ. Who was there to see it? Moses. Moses saw the glory of God. Moses saw. Elijah saw the glory of God, and probably Moses and Elijah are the two witnesses that will see the coming glory that we have in the book of Revelation. There are times when God's promises are not enough. I've been in those situations you have, but I want to tell you that if you can come to that place where you can see and touch God's glory... That makes all the difference and once again puts us on track, puts us on track. Pastor Mogo, I've had a word for you for some weeks, months maybe. And the Lord says that because you delight in him, he will indeed give you desires that you have forgotten, desires that are dormant, they will come to pass. And God will bring you a fresh revelation of his word. God will show you the treasures of the snow. And God will show you the wonder of his word. And that wonder you will use to adorn those that you minister to. And those that are ministered to will then display the beauty of the Lord. And you shall find fulfillment in the hand of the Lord. That's upon you. Church, let's stand. Lord, we bless you. We bless you this morning. We want to see your glory. Lord, we want to touch your glory. We thank you for your promises. We haven't diminished them in any way. But sometimes we just need that encounter with you. That once again stirs the promises of God. And helps us fulfill the purpose of God. Bless God. Thank you.